0: One day, you'll tell the story of autocrats, crooks, and kings, who came for our freedom. A story of citizens who stood up to tyranny and won. The people prevailed and renewed an old vow to a more perfect union. And that was just the beginning. The story continues.
1: Narrative Where truth lives. And hello, everybody. It's so good to be back with you on a brand new season of Narrative Live. We've been looking forward to returning, and it is a good show tonight. Eric Garland is back with us. Eric, it's so good you're doing yet another season here. How are you doing, Eric? Glad to be back. Plenty going on. Let's get it on. So, lots of news happening today. Of course, you can't talk about today without talking about Queen Elizabeth II passing today. After what seems to be a a recent illness. But an easy illness in terms of the fact that she didn't suffer too long and she went probably in the best way you could ask at her favorite place in balmoral and she was 96 so she had a good run you know she was queen over more than one-third of the existence of america yes it's actually very valid and very important that people stress this thing because Think about the longevity of this um, reign. 13 American presidents passed through that t- period of time. It shows you how limited power the American president has compared to someone who survives, you know, in power for that long. But not only her surviving, it's an entire dynasty surviving for centuries, obviously. And through that time, they've been able to amass an enormous amount of wealth, an enormous amount of influence, and an enormous amount of power. So people who say they they view the queen as sort of a, a ceremonial figure. I don't think that's the case. I think she presides over a massive, well, she presided and King will now preside over a massive empire still, even though she's not in complete, total control of each part of the empire. She has enormous influence in each part of it.
0: The British Empire, its demise was perhaps exaggerated with yeah. the description of its demise. With the, the military alliance of the United States, of the UK and of Australia, the British Empire is as, as powerful as it's ever been in many regards. It's maintained its distance from the European Union. It uh, quite wisely, I think, made sure it didn't get involved in the euro currency and has uh, maintained independence over its banking. Insofar as you don't count all the Russian, Saudi, Chinese, and Qatari money that tends to gum up some of the works there, but that's nothing you can't say about Wall Street. So we're all in the same boat there. But in in the years since Trump and uh, in the years since uh, all of democracy has been under attack, from illiberal forces. It's really the UK and the United States that has reemerged as probably the most important partnership in all of geopolitics. And you can't consider that fact and then not consider the role of the crown in this and not consider the role of the monarch that just passed and the one that's to come up. So this is a, a very important day and then a very important shift.
1: It's very well said, which leads us back to the new guy, King Charles III. I'm going to take a long time to get used to saying King Charles III. The new guy who we have all known our entire (laughs) life. Yeah. So the new guy's in charge now. And he has interesting ideas about things. You know, he's very outspoken about sustainable economies and about de-emphasizing globalization. He's good friends with Donald Trump. They seem to get along pretty well. When Trump and Melania were there on a state visit, Charles and Trump went on a separate little hike together and they're pretty chummy. I think they might share some opinions on, on some things like race and who knows how influential that could be in the upcoming elections. But he's a very stodgy guy. He's by all accounts Quite racist, which of course is not a surprise to anybody, but he's got a dark past as well. And he's, you know, he's an old guy, but he apparently he's very approachable. Apparently he can, he's easy to talk to and has some good ideas on the environment and sustainable economy. So that might be an interesting thing as he tries to implement some of that across the empire that he still has, even though he only has a limited amount of time.
0: This is a fascinating point in history where you have in the same week, a new head of government, and a new head of state in the United Kingdom at the same time. And Liz Truss, who's the new prime minister, doesn't seem to be a remarkably more liberal direction than her predecessor. In fact, some things may seem to be more intensely like they were under Boris Johnson, to the point that I wonder how long that will last. But, you know, there is a new monarch. And if there's any illusion we've Come to be disabused of it's that uh, the that the royals don't have an influence or a significant influence one way or the other whether it's arms trafficking or back channeling to Putin like uh, Queen's oh, yeah. cousin Michael yeah, I yeah. Michael is
1: yeah I think the whole family is related to the Romanovs I think they've got a close oh, relationship yeah
0: King George and uh, Kaiser Wilhelm and Alexander the, mm. uh, the the thing is Alexander anyways they
1: all had the same grandmother Queen Vic. Yeah. Yeah, there's only one family, so... only one big royal family, and and they all sort of split up a little along the way. Now it's interesting that King Charles is, is going to be a little bit different in some ways. His whole approach is a far more insider kind of approach. He's been involved in a scandal where he's been writing to ministers, to British ministers in the cabinet. We've seen some of those notes. Those were not just like, hey, nice to see you at the latest fundraiser. It was, I don't like what you're doing with this law, and I'd like you to change that law. So he's been very involved in government, even up until now. So there was that scandal. And I'm sure now that he's got an amenable prime minister to work with, he'll be running things. I don't think we should expect that this king is going to not be running things. In a world where autocrats are back and monarchists are back, Prince Charles would be foolish or King Charles would be foolish not to try and get the reins of power and control things on a day-to-day basis. I would not be surprised if he does that.
0: Well, in my conversations with Brits, they, in general, cherish the the monarchy as an institution and bristle at the notion of the monarchy as having a day-to-day political effect. And many will argue that Americans are badly mistaken that they can put that kind of pressure on their democratic governance there. That said, when you're tr- tossing around billions and billions of pounds sterling as mm-hmm. the royal family is able to, and you are able to back channel to every form of power that there is on the planet, you know, that's probably, that maybe uh, underappreciate the role that yeah. those, those
1: people can And also the king play. and the queen <laughs> have a weekly meeting with the prime minister. It's a very secretive meeting. That's a lot of, <laughs> that's a regular meeting where they discuss all the affairs of states and the queen reportedly was very up to speed with everything that was going on. So sure, the king will be the same. I mean, there's no reason to expect otherwise. And I guess if the king or the queen asks you to do something and you're the prime minister, if you want that knighthood or that title at the end of your career, then you may want to agree with them on certain things. There is no institution like the British empire.
0: Everything from the fact that King Charles is now, unless uh, possibly the Japanese emperor might be this way too, but the Japanese emperor has a very different relationship to the national government the only head of state who is anointed by god and as the head of the anglican church yeah he is directly appointed uh, by the almighty which is a neat thing to put on linkedin but yeah uh,
1: appointed by the almighty can't commit any crimes and he's an inheritor of, of a lot of mob laundered money so why not and saudi it's good to be the king it's good to All be around. the king <laughs> It's, it
0: sure is. Americans tend to be fascinated with the, the the royal family from a distance, not with the same affection that Australians, Kiwis, Canadians, and the British themselves might have are generally fascinated. But again, geopolitically, the just the sharing of like, you know, nuclei, nuclear submarine technology and the integration of intelligence systems. The AUKUS alliance is the most important alliance that's formed up. Yeah. For those who aren't, geopolitics nerds, NATO is important, but we need to remember that NATO has been, you know, ha, has been not infiltrated, but some of the countries that comprise NATO, such as Hungary and Turkey, we've had some complexities there. And, yeah. But it's funny. It's, it wasn't until the Ukrainian war here that Vladimir Putin started to see these NATO countries giving Ukraine weaponry and it's Soviet weaponry. It's like S 300, it's MiG, MIG airplanes, it's S 300 missile batteries. That's not U.S. gear. That's not NATO, Ven- uh, otherwise NATO compliant gear. So it's interesting that we managed to empty all that out. And no doubt they'll be ordering more from British and American defense contractors to fill the back door. Of course. That was a great strategic positioning you just gave us. What do you
1: think this is the most pivotal of the alliances and it will be King Charles that will be at the helm of that.
0: It, it's the part of NATO that counterbalances China. Yeah.
1: I think we should talk a little bit about Steve Bannon and his relationship to China because this man is in a whole lot of hot water because he's finally facing a judge on the issue of the Build the Wall Foundation, or whatever it is they called it, which was, do you remember much about the story?
0: I don't know all the financial details, like where the money went, per se. They set up a fake charity that took money from unsuspecting donors and no doubt the money laundering accounts of a few hostile intelligence services into Bannon and others' coffers, ostensibly under some massive construction project between Brownsville, Texas and San Diego, which is actually quite a long way it should be of no surprise to anybody that they didn't actually build a wall but they did actually take the money yeah and about a million
1: dollars i think bannon did himself just a million dollars in personal expenses from that from MAGA. yeah
0: and you know when you think of all the operatives that may have paid i don't know the source of all the money and i don't know all the expenditures of all the money however when you get some basic definitions that are delineated in statutes, criminal statutes, such as, did you engage constructive fraud to tell people you were going to do one thing and then you did another? Did you take that money and put it into another uh, financial institution or set of bank accounts? And did you make it pop out somewhere else where you obscured the origin of that money? Well, that's money laundering and that's against the law. And You know, we may never get a look for reasons of sources and methods and uh, other intelligency and counterintelligency kinds of things. We may never know all those details, but we know that he was charged federally and then Trump pardoned him and now New York has charged him again because it's also against the
1: law in New York. And they are really going after him. I mean, I think they're going after him now because, you know, we are at sort of a major war with China, and there's no other way to really look at the tension that's building up. We're not having a hot war, but we're certainly having a cold war. And there's no other way to say this. I'm just going to say it out loudly that Bannon really works for the Chinese. I mean, that seems to be... Oh, yeah. Where he gets his instructions from, that's where he gets all his ideas from. And remember this guy, what's his name? Miles Guo, I can't remember his last name. Oh, yes, Wingui? Yes. Or Miles Quack. Yeah, he's got various, actually, names that he goes by. So he was reputedly, he came to America as the 73rd richest man in China and uh, an anti-CCP activist who was going to overthrow the Chinese government from the United States. And it
0: turns out that was all just Bush. Who apparently was still able to withdraw money from mainland China the way nobody does if, yeah. they're, if they have crossed the party.
1: So. Yeah. No, this was all a cover story. It was a terrible cover story. He was accused of all sorts of crimes and whatever there. That's why he says he escaped. It was all a political witch hunt, he said. But it actually was not a witch hunt. It was just a cover story. He's he's an agent, clearly, of the Chinese state. And he has, over the years, amassed quite an empire here. And he works hand in hand with Steve Bannon. This guy's got a massive network. So he's got all these weird YouTube channels. He's got Getter, the social media thing that Donald Trump tried to start a while ago before he did Truth, Truth Social. And Bannon works with him when he does The War Room. And as do Michael Flynn, as do Navarro, all these sort of characters have been around Donald Trump over the years. They all seem to have connections to Gwee. So we're going to go there in a future episode. But I just want to make sure that everyone focuses on this idea today that Steve Bannon is facing these charges not just because he stole a million dollars. He's facing these charges because the American government has had it with the Chinese screwing around in America. And that Steve Bannon is... You know, now he's facing a second criminal charge here because he's an operator. He's an asset. And those people who listen to the war room or whatever it is he calls it, his organization, he's his broadcast, you know, you're listening to Chinese propaganda, basically, 24-7 being spouted at you. Sometimes Gui goes on there and shares his ideas. Um, it's dangerous stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's why Steve Bannon needs to be put away. And that's why there is such an aggressive action against him. And it's about time
0: we're making a major step here as a show if i may just to back up the context for the audience a lot of what we talked about 3 4 years ago w- was glaring as something that needed to be talked about and that was the effect of, of russia on democracies around the world now given the role of the kgb in the 20th century of course why wouldn't you china spent a lot of years of very inwardly focused uh, or regionally focused sure, surely they had an effect on vietnam and cambodia and places that were close and no doubt had through the united united front from the diaspora they had effects on other countries too but not as actively as the kgb right but that changed and after 2016 where we really in america and elsewhere we had attacks on democracy from a, a number of corners russia was really the loudest about it and there was a propaganda effort to focus us entirely on russia and let off well israel some probably some gulf states mm. but china and of course, America has had a complicated relationship with China because we made the strategic decision in the 90s, if not before that, if not the Nixon administration, right, to strategically engage with China, not to shun them despite their autocratic, authoritarian, utterly like genocidal practices. I mean, whether it's the Great Leap Forward and the Agricultural Revolution, which just starved millions of people to death, or the grotesquely brutal one child policy. If you ever look into the details of how the Chinese Communist Party forced the bodies of Chinese women only producing one child, those are not stories for the faint of heart. And I don't see how they make for a very attractive strategic partner. But the story, as the story goes between the seventies and nineties, we had to decide are we going to compete strategically, and that means economically and militarily, or are we going to engage and make it more important to get along with American interests and to have a shared interest? And in, in the business of statecraft, which why I got my master's degree in, we call that functionalism, doing things together. You're less likely to bomb each other. And there's a good, you know, it's true. there's a whole good, there's a whole list of reasons behind why you'd want to do that. And Bill Clinton really... Took the lead in the 90s after the fall of the Soviet Union or the transformation of the Soviet Union, as we now know it, to a mafia state. Clinton really, you know, with our tech sector and our banks and everything else, we decided to engage with China. And I remember in about the year 2000 talking to executives as a strategic intelligence analyst. And they were talking about how much, that we called it Chinese mathematics. Do you know how much money there is in China? Do you know how big the market is? Why, if you only got 1% of the Chinese market, that's a billion people. We called that Chinese mathematics. And I started asking questions such as, what do you think they will want in return? Question: A lot of very myopic, self-regarding American executives was, what do you mean? I'm like, well, do you think they're an empire that's been around for 2,000 plus years? What do you think they want? Well, they want some of what we have. Well, don't you think they want their own thing? And so that was a difficult discussion. I asked tougher questions such as, do you think anyone on your staff should speak Mandarin if you're going to do this much business? Mm-hmm. And they're like, why would we do that? So in some senses, we had this coming.
1: <laughs> where yeah. we, just- we did. I mean, this is sort of naive to go into China without thinking they'd want something back. But I don't think anyone was expecting the attack on democracy that we sort of started seeing in 2016. But clearly was set in motion many years ago and many decades ago, even. What we are finding in our investigation, and as you point out quite rightly, this has been something that we've seen in the background of the Russia investigation, of all these other investigations. China has always been this flashing red light in the background, if you will, that has been like, there's something going on here. We have to look at what China is doing. But we've been over the summer and certainly over the last six years amassing a, a pretty large amount of data, which really shows us that China and its operatives have played a very significant role in every aspect of the attack on democracy. So we're not just talking about the coup attempt of January 6th, we're talking about the rise of MAGA, the whole building of the MAGA movement from the Tea Party movement, Donald Trump's election, his presidency, the whole time during the presidency. Of course, the pandemic, the Chinese played a big role in that. Then into the big lie, the trade deal with China, which is a very skewed deal, and we'll discuss that in a later episode. And then finally the attempted coup of january the 6th we see a lot of chinese operatives there as well so we're seeing a a pretty long long scale and large large scale attack on america through its democratic institutions through manipulation of the media and through social media manipulation that has gone on for years now and has really hurt american interests and what we're going to be doing is breaking it down chapter by chapter to showing everybody that this is in fact a a very sophisticated, and very long-running attempt to destroy America and American democracy. And its aims are pretty clear, to make America as extreme as possible, to destroy the American institutions, whether it's the FBI or the Environment Protection Agency, or you name it, they've certainly gone at it over the last few years. And also then to weaken our position around the world, which of course they've attempted to do, now they don't do this alone because we're thinking, well, China hasn't really done any of these things directly. And in fact, what they've done is they've amassed all these other proxy nations. Russia, of course, is a big partner of China's. They have they share a lot of the strategic uh, needs and aims of each other. But you know, it's that's a lot easier to have Russia do the attacking of the United States, and then China backs that up with some money to Russia, same thing with Saudi Arabia, same thing with UAE, and the same thing with, frankly, a lot of individuals, a lot of. Businessmen, a lot of people who've made a lot of money in the last 20, 30 years of China are beholden to China. It's not that surprising. And
0: then That the, the notion of China using proxy states, mm. that's really embarrassing on a number of levels. Because you, you know, that technique is referred to by Sun Tzu in The Art of War, I believe, mm. as a cat's paw. So imagine you, you stick a cat's paw on a stick with the sharp claws sticking out and you put the stick out and attack with that at a distance. Sun Tzu referred to that, I believe, as cat's paw. The use of a proxy in order to keep your hands clean while getting the damage in that you want. Do you know how many American businessmen prided themselves in the 90s on reading Sun Tzu? And you must know the enemy better than, you know, and the successful general wins before he shows up. The Mm. losing general shows up in fights. I mean, that was just so in vogue 30 years ago and then those same people turned their entire supply chain over to the chinese communist party their financing they didn't pay attention to that and like oh my God, we're being attacked by proxy states. Like, yes, didn't you read The the Art of War?
1: I suspect that they do, they follow that doctrine.
0: Sun Tzu, I did.
1: Yeah, I, Sun Tzu. I thought everyone else did. Yeah, so he said, should. don't let the enemy know you're attacking them, right? You use a proxy nation to attack them. That's how he suggested you do these wars. So in fact, there are a lot of American citizens here. We're not sort of taking the blame away from American citizens, but certainly the influence and the money is coming from China. But there are people like Rupert Murdoch, who shows up in tonight's episode, where you know the owner of Fox News. This is the number one propaganda network in America, is feeding Americans a diet of propaganda that is obscene and terrible, from vaccines to the big lie, and and he married is getting, to an, a Chinese intelligence officer. Yes, Boom. and also getting a hundred million dollars just last year from uh, the Chinese. So. It's not like we have to look very far to see how they're influencing these people. And we'll show you tonight and over the next few weeks, how Rupert and Murdoch's influences have been longstanding. It's been years of them doing this. So that's what we're going to be doing tonight. We're going to start off. The next few episodes are about Wendy Dang and Ivanka Trump and their incredible 17-year friendship. 17 years is a long time to develop an asset. And then next episode, we'll look at Rupert Murdoch and Jared Kushner, who've also had a very long-standing friendship. He's a total mentor to Jared Kushner. Isn't Jared lucky to have such a famous mentor? So if you could just wrap it up, your thoughts there on this, on the shift that we're making this year in terms of our editorial policy, we really are taking a very different approach by filtering things through sort of a Chinese filter. Well, it's important because
0: it's been poorly understood And especially the fact that it's not just the compromise of a few names that you've heard of people like Jared Kushner, whose sister was selling condos, you get a free EB-5 visa. She was selling those to the Chinese while her brother was in the White House. You know, they're the big names. but. When you realize that the Chinese are very patient and they bribe individual businesses, individual small governments, uh, municipal governments, and uh, state governments, and just to pick a piece here, a piece there, you know, support one candidate for dog catcher, the next for alderman or whatnot, and uh, you know, I think in your promo for this Zev, you said you had a grain of sand, a grain of sand, a grain of sand, and eventually you get a beach. Mm. And I think the important thing to remember here is that this is just second nature for the Chinese. This is an empire that's been around for 2,500 years that is no stranger to political warfare, no stranger to kinetic warfare, even though they haven't been in the game of kinetic warfare in the last 100 years too much. But this is just how they think. And I want to stress that this is out of respect and just an analytical sense that we're going into this. This is not a boogeyman. This is not, this certainly has nothing to do with racism. You know, in fact, it's, there's a certain amount of respect here of like, look, this is the game that they've been playing. R- Russia played a different sort of game. Israel plays its own game. So did the Saudis and America's self-regarding nature. It really does it a disservice. And it's just, if you know, we're lucky we've come through this very difficult chapter in American history, fairly intact, where we still have a lot of work to do, but if we're going to lead in the next century, if our own nation, if nobody else, we have to grow up essentially and start thinking about the world, the way that more mature cultures do. And I think that's what we're going to try here. Yeah.
1: And we should thank all the patrons who have made tonight possible. Without you, this season of Narrative would simply not have been made possible. Thank you very much for sticking with us. We really appreciate it. And we need you to join the Patreon program. So please go to patreon.com forward slash narrative. I almost forgot that. Patreon.com forward slash narrative and help support Narrative going forward Um, because it's where truth lives.